Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mine. Why is the rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends Podcast. I'm your host, Mo Long. Thanks, as always, for listening. We really appreciate it. And we would also appreciate if you went over to the iTunes store and subscribed, left us a rating, left us a review, and also checked us out on Facebook at Celluloid Fiends and on Twitter also at Celluloid Fiends. As always, tonight I've got here in the studio my wonderful co-host. What's up Celluloid Fiends? This is Gabriel Orto. If you want to go ahead to our Facebook page and give us a like, that'd be fantastic. And you know what? We love picking the movies, but if you want to give us a suggestion, it has to be at least 10 years old, we will review that and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Tonight we are talking about Batman Mask of the Phantasm. This movie came out in 1993, and it was set in the Batman the Animated Series universe and was the first of the original theatrical films to be produced by Warner Brothers Animation. Mask of the Phantasm was directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce W. Tim, with voice acting from the likes of Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, and Dana Delaney. It holds an 83% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with an 88% audience score. It had a budget of $6 million at the box office, and it made only $5.8 million. But it seems like that was because its theatrical run was implemented at the last minute. Batman Mask of the Phantasm follows Playboy Bruce Wayne, and it chronicles him meeting Andrea Beaumont during a visit to his parents' grave. And a romance starts. Later that evening, in a pre-Batman vigilante fight, Bruce fails to stop a robbery. While his relationship with Andrea has him on the verge of abandoning his crime-fighting days, Beaumont disappears from Gotham City. Flash forward 10 years, and Batman attempts to thwart a pack of Gotham crime bosses in a money laundering operation, among them Chucky Soul. But as Chucky attempts to escape, he's killed by a mysterious cloaked figure. As Bruce Wayne searches for the identity of the masked vigilante, he must battle an increasingly negative perception of Batman by Gotham police, as well as the Joker, who's hired to find out who's killing off Gotham's crime bosses. So, we had both seen this movie before. What was your first experience with Mask of the Phantasm? I watched Mask of the Phantasm when I was about um, like eight or nine years old, and that's literally the last time I watched it until right now. And interestingly, my experience was kind of the opposite. I did grow up watching a lot of Batman the Animated Series but I didn't end up seeing Mask of the Phantasm until I was in my early 20s. And I actually think that helped me probably appreciate this movie a little more on my first watch because I was able to grasp a lot of the nuance that's in this movie. Right. Do you remember what your perception was at the time when you watched it when you were eight? 
Well, I really liked the Batman the Animated Series. I um, really wanted to see a movie based off that, and I got that. But I, and, I, and I liked it. There was Batman, there was Joker, there was good villains. But I also feel like some of the storylines went over my head as a child. Yeah, I think that was probably pretty common. And that's an area this movie really succeeds in its appeal to both children and adults. Because as a kid, you can watch this and you'll enjoy it because it's Batman. He's fighting bad guys. He's thwarting the Joker. But if you're an adult, you understand a lot of the complexity that's going on and it delves into Batman's origin story. And so the first time I watched this movie... I was actually very surprised at some of the darker elements that are in it, as well as by that twist at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, as, as watching this as an adult, I have a new kind of appreciation for it. Um, a lot of the nuances I didn't see as a child, I now see as an adult. Like the love relationship and the unique twist at the end. I, I, like, you don't appreciate that shit when you're a kid. You just, like, oh, Batman, Joker, villains, fight. You know what I'm saying? That's all you fucking care about. Totally. And one thing that I was thinking about as we were rewatching this was the way that it caters to both adults and kids. And some of the romance, for example, it makes it clear what's going on, but it only shows maybe a snippet like Andrea and Bruce as they're kissing on the lawn and then it pans quickly to Alfred's face. So in that way, it kind of keeps it PG, but it, I think, also glances over some of the would-be lengthy setup of that. There is definitely implemented sex in this movie. Oh, uh, oh yes. I think that was implied a few a implied few moments. Sex, my bad. Not implemented. Implied sex. <laughs> but speaking of speaking of lengthy, there were a few moments in here that I kind of had forgotten that it was a flashback going on. There are a, lo- a lot of flashbacks. Much of the narrative is shown through flashbacks. And some of them last quite a while. Like There was one quite early on where it, it seemed to last 10 minutes or something. And right. It ended and Bruce Wayne's at a party when it starts and then he's back at the party after the flashback. And I think we just looked at each other and was like, oh, shit, I forgot that was a fucking flashback. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> like, we were watching this flashback for no joke at least like 10, 15 minutes. And like I was really into the story they were telling in the flashback and then they go back to the party that... Bruce Wayne is that, and you're like, oh, <laughs> fuck, I forgot that was a yeah. flashback. It's like, I'd forgotten what the, what the current plot of the film was. But I, I think, despite the, the flashbacks and how long some of them are, I do think the movie flows very well, and I thought it was quite neat how it tells a very simple but effective origin story of how Bruce Wayne transformed into Batman. Mm-hmm. Because it shows that one initial fight where he struggles with the fact that the villains were not afraid of him. And then that's how he ends up concocting the Batman uniform. And there's that one scene where he 
presents it to Alfred, and Alfred looks terrified. I'm surprised. It's one of um, one of the few, especially recently. It's one of the few or Batman origin stories that doesn't base his training around um, in, in the Chris Nolan tr- trilogy. Be the League of Shadows, um, like Ra's al Ghul and stuff like that. It. And in this movie, he is strictly training himself, which is interesting, which I can believe to an extent. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty believable, like you said, to an extent, especially because I think it glances over some of that and, and just tells the necessary components for you to understand how he went from being playboy millionaire to mass vigilante. Right. And I think most of this was actually based off of Batman Year Two, which I had not read. I don't know if you've read that one. I have not read Batman Year Two. I'm familiar with a lot of Batman lore, whether it's from movies or TV shows and from some comics, but that was one that I have yet to experience in some capacity. But from my understanding, the Phantasm was actually an original creation for Mask of the Phantasm. It was not in year two. Have you seen the other two films in the Batman, the animated series universe? I have not. So one of them was Sub-Zero, and that one concentrated on Mr. Freeze, and the other was Mystery of the Batwoman. I have seen both of those. Of those two, I think I preferred Sub-Zero, but Mask of the Phantasm is easily my favorite overall. And I think it's gained a cult following, but what do you think? I think it definitely has. Um, I've only heard a lot more about it the last like five, six years. It really didn't get brought up as like a cult following movie till like 2011, I would say. So that made when when Mo brought up, let's watch Mask of the Phantasm. Like I'm all about it. So I haven't seen the movie in years, and I thought it would be good. And for its 25th anniversary in 2018, there were actually some screenings in theaters. Really? Yeah, I didn't end up making it to see that, but I was very excited about that. Because I think it it's kind of an underappreciated film. It didn't perform, like I mentioned, super well at the box office, but critical... Reception was very positive, and Ebert, Roger Ebert, I believe, even lamented the fact that he wasn't able to see the film in theaters. He ended up seeing it afterwards and, and really praised it. But what do you think led to this movie gaining a cult following? Well, I think it started with Batman the Animated Series starting to become popular People who watched Batman the Animated Series growing up are, are now becoming adults. They're adults in their 20s and 30s. They can start spending money on it. So people started remembering Batman the Animated Series when they were a kid. Therefore, the, the Mask of the Phantasm is in that universe. So people remember that too. And I think 
Once people remembered the animated series, the Mask of the Phantasm was just following right behind it. I agree. I think that's part of it. And I do also think another element is what we mentioned earlier in the fact that this movie does have a lot of replay value. Because if you watched it for the first time when you were 8, 9, 10, and hadn't seen it until later on in life, I think you missed a lot of what was going on. I know I probably would not have understood exactly what was going on in this movie if I watched it when it made its theatrical debut in 93. Of course, I was three at the time. So... I wouldn't have really grasped, grasped a lot of what was going on. <clears throat> so one thing I really want to talk about is this is totally a Batman origin story. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a cool parallel between Bruce Wayne and Andrea and their respective facades that they put up in Batman and the Phantasm. Because each of them is shaped by this trauma that they go through. And they end up responding to that in different ways. So Bruce dons the Batman call and he turns into this vigilante fighting for justice, whereas Andrea seeks vengeance because her father was involved with Gotham's crime syndicate and ended up being killed for it. Right. I think that it's a really good parallel but just remember, if you lose your parents, you can either become a vigilante <laughs> or you can kill people out of vengeance. <laughs> That's a valuable lesson that this movie teaches. <laughs> One thing, though, that I think upon rewatching this, I did notice the Joker almost feels kind of stuck in. And I mean, no complaints because. The Joker is one of my favorite Batman villains in pretty much any form. Whether it was the 1960s Batman, the Heath Ledger Batman, the animated series I love. Mark Hamill voiced the Joker, and I think it's probably one of his best roles. Uh, But overall, the insertion of that character into this movie does feel like slightly stuck in. I have a feeling that... During the production of this movie, they they felt like just the Phantasm wouldn't make enough money. They need to bring the Joker in, kind of like give Batman an even bigger arch rival, and that and, that, and, that, and that's the cash grab thing to do. I feel like they have it probably midway through through production. Agreed. Yeah, I think it did work overall. It just was one of those things that when I first watched Mask of the Phantasm, I didn't expect the Joker to show up. And upon revisiting it, I nevertheless appreciated the Joker's presence, but it just didn't feel like it was necessary. It felt kind of stuck in to have, like you said, that familiar villain, as opposed to this original villain that audiences net had never seen before. Because let's face facts, putting out an animated Batman movie was a risk in the first place. Then you want to then then you want to put out an animated Batman movie with a villain that no one's heard of. That was a ballsy choice. Ballsy. Ultimately it did work out though. And this movie does have quite the legacy. 
Speaking of the Joker, the, this movie gets kind of dark. And I think the end especially can be dark depending on how you interpret it. So it ends with a showdown at this derelict theme park and it ends up blowing up. And rather than escaping, Andrea drags the Joker back into the explosion and you just hear Joker's maniacal laughter. So what was your takeaway? Did you think Phantasm and Joker were killed? Did you think Joker survived, Phantasm was killed? Did you think Phantasm was survived, Joker was killed? What do you think? Joker survives always somehow. To- yeah, totally. But this is not the first time that the Joker's death has been implied either. No. Most notably in The Killing Joke. Yes. So, I'm glad you mentioned The Killing Joke. You've read the graphic novel as well as seen the movie. Yes. I've only seen the movie, but I was really surprised when I went to see that. Because if you think Mask of the Phantasm gets dark in places, Killing Joke gets very dark. Because there's, I think it was, what was it? The implied rape of, of Barbara Gordon? Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, does the graphic novel get more into that? Because I think the film kind it of... It really doesn't. They, they, the, the, graphic, the graphic novel is actually pretty darn short. Um, and they actually put more details in there. In there in the movie than there is in the graphic novel. Like, in, in the in the comic book, um, Barbara Gordon and Batman didn't have a relationship and all kinds of stuff, but, like, the basic story is that, um, that's the, that is the book where Barbara Gordon gets paralyzed. That was a, that was a pretty powerful film, and I do, at some point, want to read the graphic novel. I just haven't gotten around to it. I don't... I still think if I had pitted the two against one another, I would prefer Mask of the Phantasm because I do think there's a little more nuance to it and certain elements of the killing joke seemed kind of gratuitous and like it was trying to be edgy in places. Like, this is the thing. Like, the, the graphic novel was so edgy. It was edgy. Like, not a lot of comic books that come out like that other than, like, The Watch. And so they wanted to, so when they said they were making uh, animation of it, people were like, oh man, it's gonna be so edgy, so edgy. And in today's aspect, it's really not too edgy, but it's still a, a great story. That's where they kind of, they like, but so they had to push it a little bit with the animated feature. I liked the animated feature, I did not love it. That's fair. I, I felt the same way about the movie. I enjoyed it a lot, but I didn't think it was the best. So, if you had to pick a favorite Batman graphic novel, which would you pick? The Killing Joke. Okay, I'd go with The Long Halloween. I thought that was a pretty fantastic graphic novel, and it's also just one of the few Batman graphic novels I've read. I feel like most of the Batman 
that I've experienced has been through film and television. I watched a ton of Batman the Animated Series growing up. And when I was a kid, like my family didn't watch a lot of movies and television, but one VHS tape that we owned, and I think I pretty much wore out my copy of, was the 1966 Batman the Movie. And I still have a very soft spot in my heart for the Adam West Batman. See, I've always been a DC guy. I like DC's com. I like DC's DC's comics better. But surprisingly, Batman is not on the top of my list. Who is on the top of your list? Green Lantern. Mm, that's a unique choice. Green Lantern is definitely on the top of my list. When I first moved down to North Carolina, I got like I got back into reading comic books, and I really enjoyed um, the Darkest Night and Brightest Day um, um, graphic novels. They weren't graphic novels, but they were like comic series that they put out where they they made the different Lantern cores and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. So and, and I, I like the fact that there's a Muslim Green Lantern now. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. I did not realize any of this. Green Lantern's kind of a superhero that I don't know a lot about. And I think I probably have more knowledge about Marvel than I do DC. And this was like well before the Marvel Cinematic Universe came about. I was just like super into stuff like Blade... Blade is good in it. Like, Marvel is good in its own right. I really like Venom. I really like Spider-Man. I like the, the Guardians of the Galaxy and all that. But, I, like, as far as comic book works go, DC, I think, has got to be. Like, you got like you got to look at the DC Universe. you got Superman. you got Batman. You got Wonder Woman, you got Green Lantern, you got Aquaman, like all of them. Now you like Marvel, they got their own thing going on too, but kind of like nothing like Superman? Like as big as Superman? I don't think so. Yeah, cause Superman dominated back in the day. Right. Like the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Those are fantastic. Like even back in the day, like people always look like when they whenever you talk about someone who's like really strong, it's like always like Superman. Like like Superman is part of everyday culture. Everybody knows who Superman is. Yes. No. This is this is a fact. Superman's probably the best known superhero. Right. And DC has made a comeback with its DC extended universe, and. I actually like a lot of its animated content that it's put out recently as well, like Teen Titans, stuff like that. I really enjoyed um, the original animated Teen Titans. I really did not like the Teen Titans Go. That was one I did not see. And I still have yet to see the Titans TV series. That's one I also haven't seen. A live, the live-action Teen Titans show. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. Uh, I did watch The Judas Contract, the Teen Titans movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that one. I did not. It was, it was pretty good. Again, it gets slightly dark in places. Like, one character was killed off at the end, and that was something totally unexpected. 
when I watched it, especially, I guess, because it had teen in the name, and I was thinking, they're not going to kill off someone in a show that I think is aimed at a younger audience. But sure enough, they did. Like, the DC's animated movies, like, especially now, like, this is, this is where you get away from the kiddie stuff. Other than, like, the Teen Titans Go movie, like, they will go balls to the wall, and this is for adults. Like, it's not necessarily, like, you don't necessarily have to be an adult, but it's, it's, uh, it's advised that if you were a child to have a parent with you. Yeah. Like, the, the Flashpoint Paradox animated um, movie that they put out maybe about four or five years ago, that, that movie was fucking crazy. And that's somewhere that a lot of animated movies, I think, do succeed, especially Mask of the Phantasm, is in its appeal to kind of younger kids and parents. Like, if I had a kid and I went to see Mask of the Phantasm in theaters, I'd be probably more entertained than the kid was. Right. Uh, and it's one of those things where I think it does, it does help, whether it's because there's graphic content in the film or whether it's because there are mature themes and you can have somebody's older explain it to you. So that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about Mask of the Phantasm. Uh-oh. Looks like Dad's got company. Business-type company. He doesn't usually see clients here, at least not at this hour. Maybe we should wait till tomorrow before we give him the good news. Maybe. Good night, Bruce. Alfred. Miss? It's another cave, all right. Could be as big as the house, judging from the number of bats that came out of it. Alfred, what's wrong? This just arrived, sir. Left with Dad. Too young. Need time. Forget about me.
Hey guys, we're back and we're talking about Mask of the Phantasm. One area that I want to dig into a little bit is some of the technical aspects of this movie, like voice acting and the animation. Mark Hamill will always be best known as Luke Skywalker, but I think second to that, his best role is the Joker and he might be the best Joker, maybe besides Heath Ledger, to assume that role. I think that he does an awesome job with it. Like, he's definitely the most notable animated Joker. Totally. And he kind of lends this kooky aspect that I think balances some of the villains' more nefarious qualities with just this oddball loose cannon humor it's like ooh hey there Batsy yeah (laughs) Yeah, he's like living in this rundown what seems like it would be Epcot Center kind of place carousel progress type ride yeah and he's got like this robotic wife that he keeps talking to and referring to and it's just it's super batshit it is and also Kevin Conroy I think really nails Bruce Wayne slash Batman with his voice oh yeah I think Kevin Conroy in his younger years possibly even could have played the live action Batman I agree I absolutely agree I also really like Gordon in this, and uh, I thought Alfred was awesome. Alfred in the Batman the Animated Series, the Batman the Animated Series, Alfred, is always hilarious to me. (laughs) His facial expressions are just ridiculous. Right. (laughs) I've always enjoyed that Alfred the most. And so, yeah, it just has, has really solid voice acting. Because that's an area that in some animated movies and shows don't necessarily excel but here top notch and the animation is so on point it's it's got this art deco styling to it with it's very noir you know what i'm saying oh like, it's very noir it, it, it's it's almost i'm gonna bring it back mom it's retro futurism. <laughs> All right, you know this is retro futurism at its finest. Yes. With, and there's that like almost perpetually red sky. It's it's very dark. All the buildings on the outside seem very opulent, like they're plucked out of like the twenties. Again, like I guess that retro futurism. And the cars, too. The cars, except for the Batmobile, are very... It's very retro-futurism. <laughs> it is very retro-futurist. And... It's just this really lovely, aesthetically pleasing Gotham City. In fact, I think this is the quintessential Gotham City. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I think you can actually even see that the influence that the animated series and Mask of the Phantasm had on later Batman productions. I do think you see that a little bit in 
Batman Begins and the Nolan trilogy. Mm-hmm. You see it in some of the later animated features as well as I think you see it in some of the video games. Like, I, I don't think you've played the Telltale Batman, but that definitely feels like it's a fusion between the animated series, Mask of the Phantasm, that era Batman, and the Nolan trilogy. Definitely the Arkham games take from the style of Batman, like that style of Gotham. I haven't actually played those. Very good. Highly suggested. Yeah, they they received some pretty wonderful critical acclaim, but kind of haven't gotten around to them yet. So we both love Mask of the Phantasm. What are your other favorite Batman animated films? I haven't seen a lot of Batman animated films, man. That's the thing. I've seen this one and The Killing Joke. Okay. This one better than The Killing Joke. Oh, I did too. If This is probably going to give away my rating a little bit, but if I had to name my favorite of the Batman animated films, it would be Mask of the Phantasm. But some of my other favorites, I adore Sub-Zero. I thought Sub-Zero was pretty solid. We might have to watch that one. Gotham by Gaslight was super cool, and it kind of lent this steampunk vibe to the Batman universe. nothing but great reviews about Gotham by Gaslight. It's amazing. It was one of the more unique Batman films. I thought Year One, the animated version of that was great. Killing Joke was solid. I did see the Red Hood animated, animated feature as well. I did not see the Red Hood, but I'll have to check that out. I thought Batman and the Joker was really good. Now on to live action Batman. What are your favorite live action Batmans? Keaton, Tim Burton's original Batman, 1988 Batman. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Um, I also really enjoyed... um, I did like Batman Forever. Batman Forever was was like a good one for me because I think... As many people did, like, make fun of those movies. All like, oh, bat nipples and stuff like that. And it was, like, toy movies. I think that the villains in that movie played the part. Like, Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face and Jim Carrey as the Riddler genuinely played their parts very well. I 100% agree. And also, those were very stylized. And I appreciated how they sort of brought with them a comic book vibe, but presented it in live action. Right. So, yeah, I think those, they get shit upon way too much, but I love, I love uh, Batman. I loved Batman Forever. I, I also have, like I said, a soft spot in my heart for the 1960s Batman. Well, Adam West will always be the original Batman. That's without saying. Oh, yeah. And then I love Batman Begins. Batman Begins was a great movie. I think The Dark Knight was a better movie. I agree. But here's the distinction. I think The Dark Knight was the better film. I think Batman Begins was a better comic book film. It's true. Because Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, untouchable. I think he solidified himself as the seminal Joker. And I think in terms of cinema, that's a much more elevated film. But 
in terms of comic book movies, I thought Batman Begins felt more like watching a comic book. Oh, yeah. Like, just taking a comic book and transferring it to the big screen and watching it in live action. And I will say this about The Dark Knight. When I first heard that Heath Ledger was going to be playing the Joker, I was not happy. Okay, explain. Like, here's the thing. Heath Ledger, to me, before The Dark Knight Rises, the only thing that I knew him from was A Knight's Tale. <laughs> okay. That's a that's a phenomenal film, though. Yeah, but I don't think his acting in that movie was Joker-worthy. Agreed. <laughs> no, it was not. Okay, your skepticism is it was warranted. But... And, and he proved me wrong totally. He died in the process, but... Yeah. But he, like, he was, like... I will never doubt Heath Ledger's acting ever again. If he was still alive after this, if he was still alive, I'd be like one of the best actors ever because I did not see that performance coming out of him. I think a lot of people were surprised by that. So if we were going back and recasting some of the voices from Ask the Phantasm. Who else could you see as Joker? Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's tough. That's a toughie. Because I think apart from Heath Ledger's live-action Joker, I think the, easily the best animated Joker is Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, if I had to recast the voice of the Joker, that's a tough one, though. I can't really think of anybody. Yeah... No, this is this is a tough one. I think Jim Carrey could do a good job. Yeah, I can see that. I can see Jim Carrey doing a decent job with that. Or even um, Jack Nicholson reprising the role in in a in a voice voice I, role. I think he would do a good job as well. I just think it needs to be someone who's pretty off the wall. And this is this is pretty out there pick, but I think Robin Williams could have been a good Joker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Robin Williams would have been a great Joker. Yeah. I I think he'd be worthy of that role. What what about Batman? Who would you replace Kevin Conroy with? Mm. Samuel L. Jackson. This would not have been even close to PG or PG-13 had oh, that no, been the no, case. No, no. <laughs> um, I just like the sound of his voice. It's very deep. I also feel that um, Morgan Freeman could have done it. Uh, you know who I was going to say for Batman? Uh, Keith David. That's true. I think he would lend it a phenomenal quality because he's got that baritone. And... He can also come across with a very calm, level-headed voice, which I think is what Kevin Conroy brought to this Batman. Yes. Even in times when he was mourning or when he was emotional, Kevin Conroy's voice for Batman and Bruce Wayne was even keel. And compare that to the Nolan Batman, which was not so much. 
The normal Batman, like, I can see what they did with it. They were trying to, like, disguise, he was, like, trying to manually disguise his voice. But it just didn't turn out well on film. See, it didn't really bother me. It just, it sounded like a grizzly bear that smoked too many packs of new parts. Where is she? Where is she? It was like, like, which is fine. I liked the approach that they t- actually took in Batman v Superman. As I like to call it, Batman v Superman. Don't object. <laughs> you know, I never saw that. Um, so, in that movie, um, Batman actually has a device in his cowl that disguises his voice. Hmm. See, that's a nice touch. And that's actually something I've always really appreciated about Batman's characters. He's just a dude with a bunch of gear. Right. He doesn't have any sort of special powers. So, I, I like He's that. He's the DC's universe's Iron Man. Yeah. And vice versa. Exactly. They're just both rich millionaire playboys who had ideas about justice. Very different personalities, though. Oh, very. Tony Stark is very flamboyant. Yes, that's exactly how I would describe him. Whereas. Bruce Wayne is kind of recluse. He's very muted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when he is being flamboyant, it's a show. And he's trying to detract for something. Right. right. We're trying to protect his identity. Right. Whereas Tony Stark is very proud of being Iron Man. Oh, yeah. And even tells the world. He's like, I'm Iron Man! (laughs) (laughs) But there's a time and a place for that kind of character. Uh, And I tend to to prefer the, the Batman style. I like it a lot. So... Which Batman games, if any, did you play besides Arkham? Did you play like any of the old animated series based games? No, I never played. Like I never really played Batman games until Arkham came out. I didn't really play a lot of Batman games until the Telltale Batman came out, and I think that came out well after Arkham. Yeah. But something that got me into those was just watching like the Christopher Nolan trilogy and kind of gaining a new appreciation for that character because I I used to watch a lot of Batman when I was a kid and then I don't know kind of stopped for a bit Nolan reignited that we get to a certain age where we stop talking talking about Batman we start talking about girls and weed and stuff that isn't good for you (laughs) and then here we are once again talking about Batman So, why don't we rate this bad boy? Alright, let's do it up. Alright, I'm going to give this a 4.6. That's a solid rating. Why are you giving it a 4.6? It's a solid rating for a solid movie. Uh, there's not a lot I didn't like about it. Uh, the, only, the only thing, the only reason I didn't give it a 5 or even higher was because I think some of the elements were a little too hard for kids to understand. But at the same time, that's one of the reasons that I liked it, too, as an adult. Yeah, I agree. I think there is a lot in this movie that goes over kids' heads, but I don't necessarily think that's a, a negative aspect. I actually think that's pretty positive, because 
It means that there's something in this movie for all audiences. I'm going to go ahead and give this a 4.7. I think this is nearly a perfect film. The animation is gorgeous. I love the deco styling. I'm a huge fan of the voice acting. One thing we didn't really talk about a lot, but the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. It is orchestral. It is beautiful. It pairs well with the visuals. The whole... All the music for the animated series was that way, too. It was. And this was just a continuation of that. I think it was maybe even a little bit better, probably because it had a higher budget than the TV show did. The two areas that I think I could complain about a little bit are one, like I mentioned, I thought the Joker was a little bit stuck yeah, in. Yeah, that's definitely another reason why I didn't give it like a full-on huge rating. Yeah, and then the other aspect is, while I did appreciate how well this simplified and relayed Batman's origin story, I feel like there were almost a few too many flashbacks and they went on for so long that at times I'd forget what was going on in present day. And then also I think the runtime could be expanded. This was in hour, it was 76 minutes. So it's an hour and 16 minutes, which is pretty short. Like when the, when the movie ended, I was like, wait, that was it? Because I know it's, I guess it's aimed at kids, but even most of the animated Disney movies that we grew up watching as children. Well, an hour and 30. Yeah, they're at least an hour and 30. So, like, do you think this movie could have been expanded to an hour and a half? Yes, and I think that if they would have expanded it, maybe they could have made more reason for the Joker to be in it, too. Is that what you would do if you added another 15 minutes, 20 minutes of this movie? Yeah. Same. I would either add more reason or just have the Joker in it for more because it seemed like he came in in like the third act yeah. and it was just kind of like, there you I'm you Betsy <laughs> it's, it's, it, like it's just it was like I was all about the phantasm <laughs> and Batman like duking it out and then uh, like Joker just pops up out of nowhere like towards the end like what the fuck is Joker doing here. Yeah. I, th- I still think it worked. It was successful, but it could have been presented a little more cohesively. The other the other question I have for you is, if you were remaking this movie, would you have it with its current setup with all the flashbacks, or would you just start it earlier and then have it lead up to what was going on? I would just have it earlier and go and lead into what was going on because I feel like the flashbacks the extended flashbacks were a little bit disorienting yeah it'd be one thing if it lasted for a minute or two but when you have like a 5-10 minute flashback like you could just tell it in a linear fashion right you know we're not we're not getting Tarantino with this shit Exactly. But, yeah, no, it's, it's tough to really knock this movie too much. Like, it holds up ridiculously well. I felt like I even got more out of it 
One thing that surprised me the first time around, and of course I knew it was coming this time, was that An- Andrew Beaumont was the Phantasm. I actually thought that she kind of held her cards well there, and the movie doesn't give that away until the very end. Well, like, I think there's some clues, but I, don't, I didn't think they were too obvious. I forgot the twist at the end, so watching this now as an adult, I can kind of... I kind of... I said it was her father or her. Like, I, I figured it out. Because here's the thing, like, that twist is so DC. Like, yeah. That, that, that is so DC style. Like, the person, you think, oh, they never could. No, yeah, they could. Yeah, they could and did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, overall, phenomenal film. It's definitely worth rewatching. Like, I'd, I'd watch this again tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A limitless replay value. Is there a Blu-ray copy of this movie? There probably is. We just watched my DVD, and I think I have a copy on the Plex server somewhere. But yeah, I'm, there's probably like an anniversary edition Blu-ray floating out there. I would love to see this movie on Blu-ray. I would too. And moreover, even aside from Blu-ray DVD, I would love to just see some special features because I feel like oh, there's yeah. some cool snippets about the making of this film. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to kind of hear some interviews with actors and directors. All right, that's our show for the evening. Thanks, as always, for listening. Once again, it would really help us out if you went over to iTunes and you subscribed, left, left us a rating, left us a review. Hit us up on Twitter at Celluloid Fiends. And if you want to, go ahead to our Facebook and give us a like. So until next time, Celluloid Fiends. Have a good time. Please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to... Please, stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop it.